I mean, it, it, it's stunning to me how very little people will do to gain pleasure in their life. As long as things are relatively comfortable, they pretty much stay static. You've got to use pain. You gotta, you know, you gotta use the carrot and the whip. But if you just use the carrot, you're, you're not gonna get, you're, you're <laughs> gonna go broke and you're not gonna help the people who you need to help. So I say, I think you have an ethical obligation to do everything that you can do. Welcome back to another week of Talking With Experts podcast. I am your host, Chris Cowden, and this week I've invited Everett Farnow to share his expertise on writing effective copy that has seen him being praised by marketing legends like Dan Kennedy. In this episode, we will be discussing the same philosophy that helped Everett create an extra 100K in profit for his business. I'm surprised at how much you've done in, in your career and um, you've surrounded yourself with some really incredible people, including Dan Kennedy, and that is something that I definitely want to talk to you more about. But um, for all the listeners out there, um, I'd love for you to just share uh, what you do, who you help, and maybe a little bit of a backstory. Sure. Um, well, I'm a, uh, I'm a direct response copywriter, marketing consultant. Uh, my preferred clients are small businesses. Uh, small local businesses. Now, when I say small, keep in mind that the SBA defines small businesses as up to 500 employees. Uh, the SBA, by the way, Chris, I know you're you're across the pond, is Small Business Administration here in the United States. So that defines small business up to 500 employees. So we're not talking about solopreneurs. You know, I mean, my my ideal client are local businesses, bricks and mortar businesses that are doing. Uh, at least a million a year in revenue, and preferably five to 10 million. Those are the people who I can really put on the fast track to get some amazing results for them. Um, that said, I help, I'm also, you know, I, my, I, I don't really focus on anything specific. I do work in the financial publishing niche. Um, I do work, I have, I have done some work in health. Uh, uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, my, my, client field is very broad but my most rewarding work and the work I really prefer is with that small business uh, that small business niche um, that's uh, that's probably because of how I got into copywriting so I I you know started off years ago as a salesman that's you know was, yeah. I just went out and closed deals um, and then that kind of led into uh, I always approached it I always t tended to approach it with uh, sales with a business mindset because I preferred uh, commission only jobs where I didn't have, you know, there was no, uh, mm -hmm. there may have been a draw, but there was no salary associated with it. Um, those were my preferred jobs because number one, you got more per, you got more per sale and I knew I was going to close some sales. And uh, number two, because I felt like it gave me the ability to control my income. Yes. Right? So, so even as, even in my early twenties, I had that kind of entrepreneurial, I want to be in control of my own destiny kind of mindset. Uh, and then I guess I was, uh, I mean, I had a couple of, I had a couple of forays into business. Uh, you know, I, I, in college, a friend of mine and I opened a cleaning service and we <laughs> handled a couple clients and decided that we didn't want to do it anymore. And, you know, so there's like little small things like that, but my, you know, but I really first got into business, of, uh, you know, where, where I had a really serious business. I was not selling somebody else's stuff, but it was actually my business when I partnered up with a, uh, a guy who I'm still friends with today where the business isn't around, but I'm still friends with him today. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, 
we got into the animal remediation business. So what that means that that's what we would do is remediation is basically clean up after some sort of disaster. So there's mold remediation and storm remediation and flooding remediation, all that kind of stuff. So what we would do is when animals got into houses, we would go in, catch the animal, um, get the animal out of the house, and then we'd go behind that and do all the cleaning and restoring of the house back to the condition it was in prior to the animal getting in. Uh, you know, so we'd fix whatever problems they did in the, you know, with, uh, uh, with the HVAC system, we'd uh, replace all the insulation, clean all the droppings, all the urine scent posting, all that kind of stuff. You, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, so then uh, uh, that was where I, uh, I was still selling. I mean, I owned part of the business, but I was still doing, you know, the selling. I'd go out and close deals and get a signature on the contract. And, but I came and came across this thing called copywriting. I learned from it <laughs> from Dan Kennedy. And uh, I realized, hey, wait a second. Um, I can, instead of giving one presentation or two presentations a day or three presentations a day, absolute max, I can give 50 or 100 or 200 presentations a day, right? If I write down the presentation and do it that way. Um, so the uh, so we decided to go in that route. And the first the first sales letter I ever wrote, uh, I wrote it to um, people who were referral sources for us. So in other words, this is, uh, uh, in this case, it was nuisance wildlife trappers. So people who make their living going out and trapping animals for people. Um, we were in the cleanup business if the animal was in the house, but these people were just in the catch an animal business. So we sent out letters to the referral uh, uh, to the referral people, and or to these people to get referrals from them, the referral sources. Uh, so we sent these letters out, and we ran a contest. We gave away a truck that year, um, <laughs> and uh, we gave away a substantial commission with every job that closed. When we got done with it and were paid on it, we'd give the trapper a commission, and uh, you know we gave them a report of what happened, et cetera, what happened with each referral they made, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we got enough extra business. Now, a lot of the work was insurance work. So realizing the profit took probably, I, I don't know, I, I don't have the books and I don't remember, but it <laughs> took probably, if standard, two to three months to actually realize the profits. But in 30 days, we booked enough extra business to, to make another hundred, uh, to make an extra $100,000. So we went from... Uh, you know, and, and that was, we booked that business in a 30 day period, realized the actual revenue from it probably over a 60 to 90 day period as the insurance company settled and paid the bill and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and from that moment on, I was hooked. Like this copywriting thing is amazing. Um, so uh, we did that and I developed a sales letter that went out to prospective customers and that sales letter eventually morphed into a very nice presentation folder. Uh, what Kennedy refers to as a shock and awe package. Um, and uh, then that, that shock and awe concept, we moved over into the roofing business and did very well in the roofing business very quickly. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. Uh, at this point, I still own a small local business, and, uh, but my primary work is, in the, uh, uh, is working with other, uh, other businesses and other uh, entrepreneurs to help them increase their sales. That was a really long-winded uh, answer, and thank you for sharing your story. Um, well, I'm sorry it was long-winded. I, <laughs> I didn't mean to throw it on. No, no, no. Um, it, was, it was nice to know how... how did, did you always want to start... I know you got into copywriting accidentally, but uh, 
was sales always something you were interested in doing as well? Oh, absolutely. Since I was a kid. Um, I, uh, I first heard about sales when I still remember my aunt became a real estate agent. Now she was kind of one of those female real estate agents who become have something to do, not so much to actually make any money with, um, because you know, that she was a stay at home mother and kids grew up and she became a real estate agent cause she had empty nest syndrome. But, uh, when my mother, my mother, her sister described to me how it works, she goes and sells somebody else's house and she gets a commission. And I said, well, but why wouldn't you just find more houses to sell? And she said, well, that's what they do is they go out and they find houses that people want to sell. And then they sell the houses for them and they make a commission. And I said, well, how much do they make? And I don't remember what the customary commission was at the time. And it's not important, but it was yeah. X amount. And then in my little, you know, my little child brain, I said, well, wow. So if you said, and if you sold a house, and if you sold a house for it, oh my God, if you sold a house for a million dollars, like you'd make a lot of money, you'd make all kinds of money. <laughs> and I, you know, I mean, I was, I must've been in sixth grade or seventh grade or something. And I said, wow, I want to be a real estate agent when I grow up. Cause I'll go find million dollar houses to sell them. And, you know, to which of course I got the, the standard employee answer from my mother, God bless her. My dear old mama is, uh, did the best she could, but she's, there's not an entrepreneurial bone in her body. Uh, she said, well, yeah, but what if the million dollar houses never comes? Well, you, you go find them, right? <laughs> that's what you do. You go get them. So that's where I first heard about sales. So yes, yeah, so from a very young age, the idea of selling and uh, controlling your own destiny was very appealing to me. I also have this really, uh, uh, it really is a character flaw, but I have an extraordinarily bad time with authority. Uh, so <laughs> when, you know, when people start telling me where to go and what to do and what time I have to leave and what, you know, what time I have to be there and what time I'm allowed to leave and when I'm allowed to eat, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it really, I just have a real aversion to it. So I do the same thing to myself. I'll bully myself. That's no problem. But when somebody else is trying to tell me, you know, you got to be here at eight 30 and you get a half an hour for lunch and you can leave at five. And, and, you know, I just really hate that. And it's, I understand it's a character flaw, but I've just had to deal with it as you know, life goes on. Uh, I think everybody has that in them. It's but. Being told what to do, oh, that's the worst thing. I don't like doing it, and that's why I want to, you know, pave the way um, and set a new example in the in the family. I think because I don't have anybody right. who's an entrepreneur or business owner in my family, I'm trying to now say, no, we don't have to work as an employee. I know we'd have to work for an employee for a certain amount of time, but eventually have a business, invest, um, you know set the standard moving forwards um were you were you the only entrepreneur in your family uh my father was uh, had a business for a while uh, my father died when i was very young and Sorry. but he had a business for a while but he was not a great businessman he was a technician um so he was one of the e-myth guys you know, he was great at what he did, but he was not a great businessman. So uh, he ended up losing the business, um, you know, dep depending on who you ask in the family. Uh, he was either uh, he either sold the business out to another outfit uh, and then worked for that outfit for a while or the other outfit screwed him out of the business. And then he was forced to work for him for a while uh, in order to make ends meet. So I, I don't know what, 
you know, I don't know which one is the more accurate one, but, mm-hmm. uh, but he did have a business for a while, but was not great at it. Uh, so no other than, and, and like I said, he died when I was very young. So that wasn't even really an example. Um, yeah. Other than that, no, nobody in my family uh, has ever owned a business to the best of my knowledge. So who inspired you? And I know a lot of people um, on other podcasts that I've listened to, they mention this Dan Kennedy guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All I've, all I've seen of Dan Kennedy, and I probably need to do more research, but uh, when I, when I read dotcom secrets, his, his name was in the foreword. And I thought, wow, this, Mm -hmm. if, if you're, if you're being spoken or if someone's talking to you or, I know I've visited your uh, website as well, and Dan Kennedy said some great words um, about he's, you. He's been um, very kind over the years, uh, far more kind than he had uh, any necessity of being. He has uh, he has given me referrals and made referrals to some of my material to other people, and and uh, give it just just it said night published very nice things about me uh, multiple times in the newsletter and in his books. And I, he's just been incredibly gracious over the years. I, I could not uh, even begin to express the gratitude I have for Dan Kennedy. So yeah, he's, he's a, uh, uh, and he's, you know, pardon my French, but he's fucking brilliant. I mean, <laughs> you know, like savant level brilliant when it comes to marketing. What were, what have been the greatest lessons that you've learned from Dan? Well, the greatest lesson that I've learned but never enacted properly was time blocking. Uh, so that's uh, I'm I'm a little disorganized in the way that I approach my work day, um, and I need to. So that that's the that's probably the most effective lesson that I never put into uh, that I never put into uh, to effect. Um, the other thing, but here's here's you know here's you know what this is the most this is the most important thing that I actually have used. Um, Dan is very very results oriented so uh you know for example if we're if you're talking about which clients to go after right yep there are uh, there are industries which are extraordinarily tough to work in because the level of competition on a copywriter basis is very high there are other copywriters who work in that industry and uh, it's it's a lot of a lot of competition. Now it's very easy to find clients in that industry because you you literally you don't have to do any marketing or anything. You send they work with enough copywriters. You can literally send them a LinkedIn message or send them an email, and get uh, you know talk to them about a project, send some samples over, and boom, you're in. You know you're working. Mm-hmm. So finding clients is very easy. But your level of skill that you need to work in those industries is extraordinarily high. On the other hand, um, if you take like uh, bricks and mortar businesses, the uh, the finding those businesses is a much more difficult proposition. However, the level of skill necessary to work in those businesses and get amazing, outstanding results and make a lot of money is much lower. So, for example, if you're in the financial publishing niche, the Agora, Agora, Newsmax, this area. Your, your level of writing has got to be very, very high. But if you're writing for the local plumber, mm. it doesn't have to be that high because the competition, the, 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 the people, the other plumbers in the area are so bad that just being, you know, just being decent is, uh, you know, is great. 
And by the way, when now now that you have that written, you can go deploy it to other plumbers and whatever and make money, you know, make money, leverage money that way. But with a royalty arrangement, you can make money from that plumber for, you know, you write one thing and you may get paid for five, six, seven, eight, ten years. Uh, so that's you know, the result, the outcome is what's important. So I, I guess here's what I'm here's what I'm trying to get at. This long way around again. I'm a little <laughs> long winded, um, but here's what I'm trying to get at. First, there's trade-offs of everything, but the thing that I learned well from Kennedy is that almost better to be the overqualified copywriter in the easy industry, as long as you can find clients, than it is to be a good or solid or you know or, or even above average copywriter in a highly competitive industry. Right? I can write I can write a whole marketing campaign for a plumber in you know, I mean, I, I got to learn a few details about them, but I can write the whole thing from scratch in like three days. And I'm talking about a marketing campaign from lead generation to closing the sale to after sale follow up everything and emails and multimedia and the whole nine yards. I can write everything in a few days. Uh, and I can do it almost off footwork. Right. So, yeah. and, you know, you know, the reference of boxing footwork, how important footwork is. So people beat them with footwork. I can almost do it with footwork. I don't even have to really throw any punches. I can almost win that game just with footwork and get paid from that plumber. Like I said, three, four, five, ten 10 years. Of course, you know, I mean, you got to foster the relationship and you got to talk with them and you got to make yeah. edits when necessary and you got to change things here, there. And, but you get paid for an extended period of time. So it's it, the result, you know, don't worry about how everybody else thinks of you as a copywriter. Worry about how much money you're making. That's the results oriented thing I'm talking about. Um, find a place where you enjoy working and work in that niche and make money in that niche. And as long as you're making a lot of money, who cares what anybody else thinks? Yeah. And that sounds like really good advice from Dan. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, Obviously, it can be transferred to every area of your life, but that was a, a copywriting thing specifically. And and what would you say has been the the most significant part of your journey so far? Um, it, how do you mean the most significant part? You mean as far as learning something, or just personally, or professionally, or what? Uh, maybe like the pivotal point where everything changed in your copywriting career. Um, when I started working with more professional direct response organizations and really had to face some copy critiques, that was tough. That was really tough because keep in mind, I, I'd written all my own copy for my own businesses and it had worked stellar, right? It worked incredibly well, but the reason it worked incredibly well was because I, was familiar with the business and I was familiar with myself and the competition that we were going up against was very, very basic. That plumber, that, that, you know, plumber thing I just used in the animal yeah. remediation business, the roofing business, nobody had good copy. Um, so even okay copy did great. So I come in here and I'm thinking, you know, hell, I know my stuff backwards and forwards. I've sold, <laughs> you know, I've, I got like four or five million and multi-million dollar sales packages under my belt already. And, and I knew the numbers cause I'd been the one mailing them. Right. So <laughs> I knew what the, I knew what they had created. Um, and, uh, and then some other people who were better than me started critiquing my copy and it was hard. Mm -hmm. um, it was a real hard time to, 
you know, time to, to back off of your ego a little bit and understand that you just really don't know what you're talking about. Uh, that that's probably the most pivotal thing as far as me becoming a better copywriter was uh, eating a big old slice of humble pie when I was dealing with people who knew more about copywriting than I did. Yeah. I think um, even though I'd say I'm, I'm at the start of my journey, um, somebody you're always, so you're always going to find somebody else that's better than you, but right. it's just about getting started and mm -hmm. learning and failing forward um what do you think was your biggest failure that you'd like to share um around the same time when i first started working with really truly professional direct response copywriting organizations i i actually started because i had a business that uh, I was tired of, it was a contracting company, a roofing business, and uh, without getting into the specifics because they're not important, suffice yep. to say that um, I did not make the right moves when I exited and uh, was you know, transferring ownership back to the old owner. Uh, so instead of getting paid for my exit, I got a big old finger and, uh -oh. <laughs> and I didn't have any money. <laughs> um, so I had, you know, I mean, I had some personal investments and that sort of thing, but it was basically most of my net worth was tied up in that business. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so anyway, um, I went from expecting to have a nice income for a couple of years that uh, uh, while I was getting payments on for my, you know, for leaving, I went from that to you know, nothing, no income at all. So I went from making hundreds of thousands a year um, uh, to making zero literally within a couple of weeks. So that was, uh, that was one heck of a, uh, you know, a shot to the Readjustment. Um, so I started working with, but I had this copywriting skill. So I started working with some very professional organizations and uh, the truth is I jumped in over my head too quickly. I was overconfident, which I, just mentioned was, you know, was uh, uh, eating a little humble pie. I jumped in and um, really uh, uh, had a couple of really bad mess ups. Now, luckily, I was honest and forthright. I, I found I learned early in sales, you're always better being honest with people than you are trying to bullshit them. Yeah. So um, I just I sent an email to one of the guys I was working with. And I said, Look, I really, you know, I really messed this up. And I, you know, I mean, I, I explained the situation. And he sent me back an email that said uh, it was a very large organization. I will forever be uh, uh, I will forever be grateful to this guy because he sent me back. He had he had already paid me a substantial amount of money, and um, he sent back and he said uh, that took a lot of guts for you to write that. And I completely understand and I appreciate you being straight with me. Uh, don't sweat it. Um, we'll just kill the projects and don't worry about a refund. I, I'm not. I don't. You don't need to send any refund. Mm -hmm. And that was, I mean, he had already sent me, like I said, a substantial amount of money. So the, the fact that he, uh, he did that was really, uh, really tremendous. I, I very much appreciated it to this day, very grateful for it because uh, that year would have been a completely different year had, uh, had he said, uh, no problem, just send me a refund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have put you in the, put me in a bad, a bad way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's get back to copy then. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what do you think are the most important elements for writing uh, really uh, high converting copy for, let's just say, an email? Because I know email is something that you uh, perf perfect. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if I perfected. I I have um, had the pleasure of studying at the feet of giants. So the whole uh, you know the whole email system today, um, that uh, you know the 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 whole process of of writing emails uh, was championed 20 years ago, not quite 20, 15 years ago by a guy named Matt Fury. Are you familiar with him? Can you spell his name? Sure, it's M A T T F U R E Y. So. Well, guys like Yannick Silver, I don't know if you're familiar with Yannick, uh, but he was one of the internet marketing, um, uh, you know, he was one of the grandfathers of internet marketing. Um, while he was sending two emails a month, one email with that was straight pitch and one email that was newsletter kind of content, mm-hmm. Matt was sending two, two emails a day, but it was a completely different format. And of course, you know, I mean, Matt has been raved by people who are knowledgeable enough about copywriting to have an opinion that he's the best email copywriter in the world. Um, I should know. Him, <laughs> yeah, he's he's the guy, you know, Ben Settle? Yes, Ben Settle. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ben attributes um, uh, a significant amount of his learning to Matt Fury. Uh, I will tell you, though, after studying Ben's stuff, and Matt happens to be a personal friend of mine. Yeah. Um, I'm on a hiatus right now because I just had arm surgery. But as soon as I'm clear to, to go work out, we, we work out a couple times a week. Wow. So um, I, I can promise you, knowing Matt and having a look at Ben's stuff, uh, that Matt's stuff is so much. De- In other words, he just he, he originated this style 15 years ago. And he's truly the master at it. So I don't, you know, I mean, I, I have been uh, lucky enough to learn from, from giants in the industry, Dan Kennedy, Matt Fury, when it comes to email copywriting. Um, you know, I, I don't ever claim that I have anything mastered. I originated everything. I just aggregate information from people who are smarter than mm-hmm. me and try and deploy it for my clients. <laughs> but um, that said, you said, what's what's the... What's the most important um, uh, aspect? Yeah, Pr- principle. I would say, yeah. I'd say knowing your customer, knowing who you're selling to. Um, you know, if you're selling thousand dollar widgets to people who don't have any money, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how brilliant the copy is. Uh, if you're selling, uh, you know, if you're selling diet plans to fat people. Uh, you know, in general. Now, if you're selling diet plans to people who are interested in getting healthy, right? So now that there are ways of doing that, but if you're just going to say, I'm just going to find everybody who's fat, by the way, I'm fat too. So you're not allowed to say I'm fat shaming because I'm probably a hundred pounds overweight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, so when, you know, when you send out, you know, when you, if you just market to everybody who's overweight, everybody whose height, weight dimensions are, you know, are, are out of whack, or the BMI is what they call it, the bottom mass yeah. index, um, then what, what you end up with is you end up failing miserably because you're marketing to people who don't want to lose weight. But now if you market to people who are newly divorced, you know, I, divorce is the best weight loss pro, uh, process ever invented market to men especially who are newly divorced and you'll sell a ton of stuff to them but that's because you have to know your client yeah right you have to know who you're selling to so it's that's probably the most important thing as a matter of fact i wouldn't even say i would be willing to say um without question knowing your client is the single most important thing to writing successful copy 
Yeah. Do you have to be really, really, really specific with that? Or is it just uh, between um, 40-year-old and 50-year-old male? You know, it's got to be really, really specific, just like a, a specific call to action. Well, I mean, I if I was if I was developing a weight loss product, right? So let's say I'm I'm going to develop a weight loss program or a weight loss supplement, or I have a supplement to use or whatever. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm trying to decide who I want to sell to, then I'm going to look for guys who are over 35, who have been divorced, uh, who have either. Uh, had a, whose wives have filed for divorce, which is pretty easy because that's eighty percent of the divorces <laughs> in America anyway. Whose wives have filed for divorce, and who have um, uh, oh, who who have been divorced six months or less, or they're currently going through a divorce. Yeah. Okay. Um, if I can narrow it down to people who were high school athletes, even better. Uh, if I can get their BMIs, so, you know, there's, uh, uh, you know, you can go get drive, driver's license information sometimes as public record. So you can actually get height, weight ratios and, uh, you know, use a computer to sort the, sort the information and et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I'd say 35 to 50 uh, who have been divorced less than six months are currently going through a divorce who were previous high school athletes and who have an income of say 120,000 or 100,000. So you can test some of that stuff, but an income of 100 to 120,000 or more. Um, or actually I wouldn't say or more. I'd say 100 to 120,000, maybe up to 225,000. Now, it, would you like to know the rationale behind that or? Yeah. Yeah. Please explain that. Okay. So um, first the age, Right at 30 years old, men's testosterone starts to slowly decline. Most men do not stay in shape, and by 35, they're starting to get a little pudgy, you know, mm-hmm. a little pouchy. And by 40 or 42, they're really heavy, or or they're unhealthy, you know, they're they're unhealthily fat. Um, in other words, their body fat percentage is just too high. So uh, we want to look for guys who are of that age because it's the age when. Uh, it's the age when this kind of stuff starts sneaking up. Family gets, you know, family concerns, um, uh, work, right? You got to, if you're making 100, 120 or 200,000 a year, you're actually working some, right? Probably more yeah. than 50 hours a week or 40 hours a week. So we're trying to find the time to work out is difficult. Um, also, uh, you know, when you're in an unhappy marriage, uh, you tend to, people tend to eat or drink and that helps them gain weight. So we're looking for, you know, we're looking for people who are around that age group. Um, the reason now why, uh, uh, because they're more likely to be heavy. Now, yep. why are we looking for recently divorced or people going through the divorce? Well, if they're going through a divorce, um, it's not impossible that getting in better shape could and and if they want to stay with their wives it's not impossible getting better safe could spark that off it could be mm-hmm. you know of um well, as crazy as it yeah as crazy as it may sound um human nature is what it is so when uh you know when you're walking away from the and this is man or woman when you're breaking up with somebody and suddenly they start making substantial changes to improve <laughs> themselves and you realize, holy mackerel, they're not pining away from me anymore. They're getting ready to go out and find somebody else. Oftentimes that will change the mind of the person leaving. So that's yeah. one reason. The other reason is frankly, because 
you want to you know you want to get big you want to get uh, uh, you want to get strong you want to get uh, you know you want to get lean when i say big i mean big muscular yeah um you know that's when you're re-entering the dating market you know you you, you got to look like you're re-entering the dating market right so you have yeah. to have some idea there um a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand because that's enough money where they have some money they can spend uh you know they're they're not counting their pennies but after alimony and child support they're not going to have nearly as much money as they used to so they have some extra money but they're not going to have nearly as much money as they used to have so it's you know there is something to be said in the dating market from a man's point of view um having financial resources can overcome well look there, there's an old joke from a of a, a, a uh uh, comedian named Red Skelton. Red Skelton's been dead for years, okay. but he was. He told this joke when he was in his 80s. He walked into a Hollywood party. That was probably. Uh, that was probably in the 90s. He was probably in his 80s. He, he was born like you know 1910, 1915 or something. Um, he walked into a Hollywood party and he had this gorgeous blonde on his arm. And this guy's in his 80s, right? And he wasn't a good-looking guy to begin with, but now he's an 80-year-old not good looking guy <laughs> so he says to her could you go get me a drink sweetie and she says sure i'll be right back red and she goes and gets him a drink and somebody comes up to him and said red where in the hell did you find her and uh, red skelter responds she says, i don't know i just opened my wallet and there she was <laughs> so having money can offset the need to be in physically attractive to some level yeah however the guy's not the guy's not going to feel good about the amount of money he has because after paying alimony and child support he has less money so that's going to hit him in the confidence a little bit so mm -hmm. we're going to go after because that guy's a little less confident than he might be otherwise we're going to go after him and say look and imply elegantly and subtly in the copy that this is going to help rebuild your confidence because you're going to have that athlete body again and of course that's why we're looking for athletes because 20 years before, you know, when they were, yeah, 16, when they were 17 years old, they were in great shape. And now they look at themselves in their mirror and they're like, man, I wish I, you know, so all those things, it's kind of like build up, build up, build up, build up. And we can talk directly to that person in the copy. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, going through this uh, intellectual exercise, I'm thinking I might uh, need to make a supplement. <laughs> <laughs> Start selling supplements. Do you, I know you, so that way you because i because i was picturing then that person that you were describing so if i'm uh, looking to target um coaches with uh, a video marketing service i would need mm -hmm. to specifically find out what their pain points are um and what kind of emotions they're feeling to write better copy oh absolutely yeah find out their pain points and so here's a here's a quick little uh, a, a quick little formula you can use there's two basic formulas for copy and one is problem agitate sell uh problem agitate solution pardon me and the other one is uh, attention interest desire action aidi yep um problem agitate sell is much easier to, is much easier to write um but it only works if you know that people have a specific problem. So attention, interest, desire, action casts a much broader net because then mm -hmm. you're, you're getting people's, you're creating the interest in the sales presentation. Problem, aggravation, solution, um, 
the pain already kind of exists. So at most, you have to point out the pain to the person that they're that they're experiencing, and but generally they already know that they have that they're in pain. And so if you can aggravate that pain, so it's really you know bothers them, and then offer a solution to that pain, then uh, it's much it's a much easier formula to write. So in your case, um, what I would do is I would find out what problems coaches are having regarding video marketing, um, you know, and, and find out really what, what issue really is holding them back. Um, I could take a few guesses, but I would not, if, if you were going to pay me to consult with you, then I would spend hours doing research prior to the, to our consulting session. Yep. Um, but, uh, but you know, you want to identify the pain that these people are in, um, so my guess would be overwhelmed with technology. Um, <laughs> my guess would be spending so much time uh, doing videos and doing audios and writing stuff that they don't actually have any time to actually sell and do business with people. Um, you know, those are just a couple off the top of my head. I would suspect that that a lot of online coaches are experiencing right now. Um, so then, you know, you identify those problems. And then you write a sales message that addresses those problems. But, you know, before you give them the solution, which obviously is to use your service, you got to aggravate it. You got to make it really, really hurt. Um, So, you know, there's, uh, I forget who it is right now. I think it was Joe Polish, but I can't guarantee that where they, uh, where they said, you know, it was like problem aggravation, um, you know, stab him with the problem and the guy, then twist the knife really hard. And, you know, he's metaphorically talking about how to increase the pain. So when you aggravate, you don't want to be shy about that. Um, And then of course, the, the, the more painful, the more pain they feel through the sales message, the more they say, this was written to me. And this guy really knows this person really knows the pain and the aggravation and the frustration I'm going through. And then of course, you come out the other end with the solution, the more likely they are going to be to buy the solution. Yeah, so I know some people might be listening to this and say, pain, why do they want us to feel pain? This is not ethically right. How do you make the copy uh, focusing on too much pain and uh, not causing people to feel stress? I know it's probably important to as part of the sales process, but how can you make it make sense for for the view for the listeners well because first you got to realize that um that there's only two drivers of human behavior and that's pain and pleasure you know a few people do and they might you might buy you might catch an impulse item as a trinket it you know at walmart you're walking through walmart or you're walking through you know your local store whatever it might be um once again i know you're in europe Walmart mm-hmm. is a big store over here. I don't even, I assume they're probably in Europe too. They're, in, they're definitely international. So I'm sure they're all over the place, uh, you know, sullying your beautiful landscapes like they do <laughs> ours here. But, uh, uh, you know, so those kind of things might be pleasure buying, but people don't make big changes in their life out of pleasure. They do it out of pain. Uh, so here's, so what you've got to do is you've got to look at this, not from a short term uh, point of view. So I, I think the answer to your question is not to change the copy. It's to change the way that you think about the copy. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's the thing. Uh, think of it this way. Okay. A heroin addict is going to go through a ton of pain to get off of heroin so that they can 
improve their life. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a very painful process. So do we worry about the painful process that they have to go through and say, oh, maybe they can just have a little heroin and maybe we'll just give them a little heroin. No, as long as they're staying alive, we want them to go through the detox process. Now, we may drag it out a little bit. I know they use methadone sometimes to kind of offset some of the symptoms and because it can be deadly in that case. So I'm using an mm -hmm. extreme example. Yeah. But and under medical supervision, we want them to go as far as they physically can to get clean, to go through that process and to be done with it so that they can improve their life. So that's what you've got to think about. If you're offering a product or service that legitimately helps the people you're selling it to, that you really believe in, and that you absolutely think will make an improvement in that person's life, whatever area of life it's meant to improve, then I would say you have an ethical obligation to do everything that you can do as long as you're telling the truth, as long as you're not committing fraud, um, as long as you're not being a little hyperbole is okay because yeah. it's called puffery, but mm -hmm. you don't want to be overly hyperbolic and make promises that are insane or best case scenario stuff. See, so if, if your idea is I'm going to sell by telling them the best possible case scenario that only one in a thousand clients are ever going to get, but that's what I'm going to sell. But if you're going to use a lot of pain and describe their pain and really delve into that psychological pain mm -hmm. that they're going through and then offer them a real solution that'll make it fit, well, the only way you're going to get them to move is with that pain. People, I mean, you know, people will not do anything to... Uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it's stunning to me how very little people will do to gain pleasure in their life. As long as things are relatively comfortable, they pretty much stay static. You've got to use pain. You got to, you know, you got to use the carrot and the whip. But if you just use the carrot, you, you're not going to get you. you <laughs> you're going to go broke, and you're not going to help the people who you need to help. So I say, I think you have an ethical obligation to do everything that you can do, and that includes using uh, pain techniques to, uh, 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 you know, to dive into their pain. Now, you don't want to make stuff up. You don't want to tell yeah. them something, you know, so, so in the financial niche, you don't want to start saying, oh, it's going to be the end of the world and everything's <laughs> going to go belly up. And, and unless you buy this newsletter, you're going to be, you know, your family's going to starve and you've you know, okay. Look, yeah, you know, not gonna okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's silliness, but to really, uh, uh, to really delve into honest, um, painful feelings that these people have, th they've never addressed those feelings. They, you're, you're actually, and, and I know people are going to roll their eyes, but you're actually helping them. Number one, you're helping them by helping them explore those feelings, but more importantly, you're helping them by bringing those feelings into, you know, to the forefront. Life, will yeah. help motivate them to improve their life. And uh, the a nice offset of helping enough people is that you make a lot of money doing it, but that's the offset of helping enough people, or at least that's the way it should be. So yeah. I, you know, I, if, uh, I think that you have to believe what you're doing. You have to believe the, uh, uh, you know, the product or the service that you're providing. But if you do, and you're being honest in the way, uh, you know, you're being honest in the level of pain somebody has, I don't think that the problem is using pain in the sales message. I think the problem is thinking that there's an issue using pain in the sales message. So you've got to, you know, it, it can be uncomfortable coming to the realization that you have to make other people uncomfortable to help them improve their life. But that's the way it works. Yeah, so so just focusing on the pain, but I think if you hit the emotions in the copy, then 
they will read it as though, okay, this guy understands what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And then that's exactly what will happen. And then giving them the solution that they've been yearning for. And they're going to say yes to you because you know them as a person and what they're suffering with. Yeah. Cause you understand them. Yeah. Yes, that's is, exactly right. So, so you, you've, you've shared a lot with me there, Everett, and I know your time is very, very precious. Um, if, there's, if there's any secret or a strategy that you're using right now that is working for you that you could share with the listeners, um, please do. <laughs> you know, honestly, the, uh, uh, this is going to sound boring and nobody's going to really like the answer, but the truth is that the, the secret is just good old-fashioned work. You do the work for the research, you do the work to understand your client, you do the work to understand the product, um, you do the work to understand, uh, you know, to, to understand the sales process, and then you just deploy that information in, uh, in the correct way. You know, it's funny because I tell people, you know, I, I might take, I might give somebody a six-week timeline for a project. Um, now that six week timeline obviously represents other clients and stuff, but, but if I was working solely on that project, I might be able to get it done in four weeks, but I give a six week timeline because I have other clients that I'm working with and whatnot. Yep. And, you know, three and a half, four weeks into the project, people say, can you share, can you share what you have written? I said, well, I don't have anything written. <laughs> no, I can't share what I have written. I have a bunch of notes. I have, you know, notepads full of notes about your product and about your market and about, but I don't have anything written. And they freak out. You don't have anything written. We're six, it's six weeks. We're four weeks in. How can you not have anything <laughs> written? Because writing is the quickest and easiest part of the whole process. In that six weeks, I might spend, you know, 24 to 36 hours actually writing. Now, of course, that's split up in blocks of time. It's not 24 hours straight, yeah. but it's 24 to 36 hours over six weeks to actually write the, the promo. All the other time that I spend, all the other hundreds of hours I spend on that project over the six weeks, maybe not 100, but yep. you know, uh, uh, 60, Saturated. 80 hours, whatever I spend over that six-week period is all research, all understanding the product, all understanding the market, all understand really deep diving into what the what the market wants, what they don't want, what they love, what they don't love, what they want to see, what's interested, what where their interests are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's just good old fashioned work. Yeah. So and the, all those questions that you just asked, that is the that is something that will help people really understand what they need to focus on to write better copy those questions that you just mentioned there that will really help somebody move forward yeah you 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 want to know so basically you want to know what's going on in the person's life um what's going on in their personal life what's going on in their professional life what they're scared of what they're excited about um what uh what dangers they feel like they're uh you know the what dangers or challenges they feel like they're facing in regards to your product and even not regards to your product really i mean you want to understand the, the client so um you know there's a uh, you want to you want to know who else has sold to the same person successfully who else has sold and failed right so yeah there's a, there's a whole list of questions you want to you want to get into the mind of the prospect and then you also want to see who has been successful and who has failed because those can give you oh stay away from that stuff but this stuff is is good stuff and we want to we want to mimic that part uh, so it'll give you some good uh, swipe material amazing amazing thank you ever uh, that was um 
that was more than enough that I could have asked for. And thanks. Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank I'm you. glad. <laughs> thank you for your time. And sorry if I offended you before when I said long winded. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? You gotta, I think it was, you, I think it was a bit harder than that. That's yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a bit of nerves, but we got there in the end. Um, yeah. If somebody wants to connect with you after listening to this episode, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I'm in the middle of uh, redoing my website, but, you know, just like a shoemaker's kids has holes in their shoes, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, me taking the time to write my own copy is, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, you get the idea. So I'm in the middle of redoing the website, which is everfarnell.com, but probably at this point, it's better just to uh, reach out to me on Facebook. um, And I'm, you know, I just search Everett Farnell. I'm the only one there. Uh, I assume that they'll have my name here somewhere. Yes, because it's spelled differently, but it'll be here somewhere um, on the uh, podcast, so they can. Uh, that's probably the best thing they can do. And uh, what can you give them today? Is it um, a call or is it an offer to help them write better yeah, usually, copy? Usually, what I do is uh, we talk about. Uh, oh, usually what I do is I like to give people a, a fifteen or twenty minute free consultation. Um, it's not a sales call. I don't. You know, I mean, I, I do. You know, I mean, I, I I will make an offer at the end of it, but it's not a sales call. It's it's a call that is designed specifically to uh, uh, to help get them on track and get focused and have kind of an outline of what they need to do. So I, at the end of the fifteen or twenty minute call, um, they should you know if they take notes and uh, and they come mildly prepared they should have an outline of what they need to do the next steps for the next two, three, four steps to, to start to move towards their goals as far as marketing and sales. I know that I'm definitely going to be talking to my uh, business partner about getting on a consultation call with you. So I'm excited to uh, book a call with you over the next few weeks. Um, be wonderful. <laughs> and hopefully uh, see your face. <laughs> so at the moment we're doing a voice. This is the first ever voice podcast I've done, but yeah, so it, I, I think it, I, it, it's felt a little bit impersonal, but um, I'm sure we'll eventually get to meet. Um, well, I, I promise you, Chris, I got a face for radio, so everybody will be <laughs> glad that it's an audio podcast. <laughs> One last question, then. Yes. Uh, and it's completely random, but I'd like to get to know you more. So if you could eat with anyone in the world from any place in the world, where would you be? Uh, who would you be with and what would you cook them? Uh, well, I wouldn't cook them anything because I would I would not want to, to make them sick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, outside of breakfast, I am not a cook. Um, <laughs> I can knock out some eggs pretty good, but outside of that, I'm in trouble. Uh, but really, uh, you know, the only people I used to, my answer to this would have been substantially different five or even, you know, yeah, five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have had a substantially different answer. But uh, today, to be honest with you, the only, the only people who I would really bend over backwards and get excited about, uh, eating dinner with is I would have all of my kids in town, uh, and, uh, and go to a, I'd take them all to a Japanese steakhouse. So I have um, a daughter who lives out of town. Uh, she's an adult and she's moved away. Um, mm-hmm. And I still have three, uh, three younger kids who uh, my, their mother and I are now divorced, but they live five minutes from my house. We always, you know, when we co-parent very effectively together. Uh, so that's, you know, they, they're, 
you know, they're wonderful. But Morgan, who now lives in Georgia, I live in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you in Europe, those are different states. I don't know. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, we know. I, I, all, well, all I know, no, the, I, I say that because uh, my only frame of reference is um, is uh, U.S., uh, how well uh, the U.S. knows world geography. <laughs> and I got to tell you, the average person in the U.S. couldn't point to to England. They're, they're <laughs> morons. You know, it, you know, you forget saying, you know, uh, Birmingham, huh? What? Uh, you know, or 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 London? Oh, you mean in Connecticut? No, 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 no. <laughs> London, England, huh? What? They, I mean, so you know, I, that's my only frame of reference. So I don't mean to be condescending, but, but yeah. you know, I, I, um, so it, yeah, and and then Morgan's oldest friend, who we kind of adopted, went not legally, but kind yeah. of you know, as when she was a uh, when she was a little girl, she used to come over and spend the weekends at our house all the time, and and she uh, she still you know she's a young woman now too, and she still calls me dad, and so I would oh. have her in town, I would have Morgan in town, and I would take my three kids, and we'd go to a Japanese steakhouse and have a uh, really great uh, really great meal and a good time. Oh, sound like a real true family man. I like it. Well, that's what they say. <laughs> and why are you divorced? <laughs> um, that's another story. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the joking answer is because she's crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, everybody goes, oh, yeah, all guys say their ex-wives are crazy. But, uh, you know, the truth is that um, we just, uh, things were not working out. Uh, as with us being married and it was quickly degenerating into a very toxic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it had been coming for a lot of years. Um, uh, it's not something I would, uh, I don't want to get into the details in a public oh, forum. No, like this, but it's, yeah. uh, it just, let's just leave it at, um, you know, things just were not, uh, they were getting bad and they were not working out. But now that we're yep. divorced, we get along very well. We co-parent the children together. You know, I see my kids, almost on a daily basis. I have them every weekend. Um, you know, we routinely go out to do things as a family and go to events and go out to eat and stuff as a family. So um, things are actually much better. You know, it's uh, uh, things are actually much better with us living under different roofs nice. and uh, having our you know, just, just co-parenting. Nice. So how can I leave this on a positive note? <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it is a positive note because yeah. it's, uh, you know, because things in the end, as always, as generally happens, things have turned out very well. Yes. And it just did today with uh, me and you on here. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, you. again, Everett. Uh, that was, it was, a, it was my pleasure. And I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you very much. We'll talk later, I'm sure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope you can use Everett's case study example that he shared with you in this episode to develop more ideas for your perfect buyer and to write better sales copy. If you like this episode, please leave an honest rating review and share it with a friend. And if you really want to take advantage of the community, leverage my connections and ask questions that you would like to be answered by my experts, then please join our private community on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash talking with experts. I'll see you next week.